We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With US Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to a Tuesday evening edition of the Road Wire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen joined, as always, by Alex Barutha. Alex, we were just talking off air. Uh, it is NCAA tournament week. A uh, very weird tournament schedule this year, beginning on Friday instead of the usual Thursday. Uh, I, I feel like I don't know how many people even know that that's the case. They have not really publicized that at all. Like I feel like half of America is going to wake up on Thursday morning expecting games to begin at like 11 o'clock, and it's just not going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I'm not as locked into like the NCAA tournament as I once was when mm-hmm. Wisconsin was good. Um, so it's always <laughs> a lot of times it's just news to me whenever I turn the TV on and there's college <laughs> basketball, the tournament's on. They're still doing that thing. Yeah, yeah uh, this, is, this has been I, I think this Wisconsin team is one of the most hateable, not even Wisconsin teams, but like hateable sports outfits uh, that has ever been put forth uh, in the world. I have watched. I don't know, probably 70% of Wisconsin's games this year and have come away happy like 20% of the time. I think they're they're peaking at the right time. They're playing as badly as possible, heading right into the tournament. Uh, and nonetheless, I, I still fully expect them to, you know, win in the first round against North Carolina, challenge the one seed in round two and, and make it interesting as they always do. 
Yeah, I haven't heard. I mean, that's probably part of why I haven't been into college basketball even a little bit is I have not heard like any of my friends say anything good about the Badgers. It's an ex- just such an excruciating team to watch. Yeah. Yeah, you're not missing much. If you, if you picked a year to kind of take a break, this was a good one. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the NBA. This is, in fact, the Roadwire NBA podcast. Uh, I posted my weekly NBA observations piece, as I always do on Tuesday, and I started that one with a note on CJ McCollum, who is back tonight, uh, kind of out of nowhere. I mean, we, we knew it was going to be around this time, sometime around the break, but more often than not, as as is the case with his teammate, Joseph Nurkic, guys like Christian Wood, Anthony Davis, it's like, okay, after the All-Star break, what's the update? Oh, it's actually two to three more weeks. Like, this was the the opposite scenario where you're kind of surprised by how quickly he's back. And it sounds like they're ready to throw him right back in there. I mean, I, I'm sure there'll be maybe be a soft minutes, minutes limit right away. Um, but, you know, there were some clips on Twitter of him going through pretty intense workouts. I mean, he's coming back from a fairly serious injury, a fractured left foot. I mean, not something that you can, you know, really do a whole lot when you're letting that heal. But I, I thought he looked pretty good physically in, in those very short video clips. And I mean, it's it's a huge, huge addition for Portland, uh, especially if he's able to play at even like 85 percent of the level that he was through those first 12 games before the injury. Yeah, it's still hard for me to believe the Trailblazers are 22 and 16, like with yeah. McCollum missing as much time and, and Nurkic as well. They're six in the conference. But I mean, yeah, McCollum will, will be a big help to them. They're they're eight points better when he's on the court. Um, I think I mean, this is, you know, being able to just give fewer minutes to like Nasir Little. And guys like that, I think it's just a big boost, right? I mean, Gary Trent's been really good for them. Um, but there's just been a lot of like minutes that can probably fall by the wayside. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we we talked, I don't remember if it was last podcast or maybe one before about their their playoff odds. Mm-hmm. And I think we both both of us kind of liked, you know, them to stay in the playoffs and like this kind of just, you know, bolsters that. Yeah, I, I think when we were talking about that, it was in the context of like, you know, hopefully McCollum is back around the All-Star break. Wouldn't have surprised me whatsoever if he was back in early April instead. And then, you know, at that point, you're looking at kind of 20, 25 games uh, to finalize that. But no, this is huge. I mean, and you know, fantasy wise, he was, I think, the sixth ranked player before the injury. And again, that was a 12 game sample. So I feel like just big enough where it meant something, but still small enough where, you know, it's not like we can expect him to come back and be averaging 28, five and five. He was hitting like five three pointers a game, shooting 44 percent from three. Um, I mean, he he really was, I, I think, certainly based on what we saw on pace to to make his first all star game. And, and who knows how that would have, con- you know, whether that would have continued going up to the break. But I mean, as good as Gary Trent's been for them, like you said, uh, he's been borderline top 100 guy fantasy wise. I mean, average about 17 points, um, playing about 34 minutes a game without McCollum. He doesn't really do anything but hit three pointers and open layups, right? Whereas McCollum, I mean, McCollum is a legitimate, you know, number two scorer in the league, and also has basically been the Blazers' backup point guard for like the last five years. Yeah, um, Anthony Simons has not been the uh, backup point guard that I think they were hoping he would be. Um, although I guess it was nice when he, when he won the slam dunk contest. Um, I, I think I didn't yeah, feel great about that. I, <laughs> you know, when people were talking about Simon's potential, they were really talking about all-star, you know, all-star yeah. weekend. Um, yeah, McCollum, I mean, he, he really isn't having a career year. Like you said, it's only like a 13 game sample, but 27 points a game. You mentioned he's hitting five threes. He's five assists to only one turnover. 
a game. Um, and those are those are all star numbers. And so yeah. you feel pretty good about him coming back because you, you're you have prime Lillard right now. You have essentially prime McCollum, and hopefully Nurkic will come back. And like if Nurkic can come back and play like he played in the bubble, and McCollum is still playing like this, and Portland has all their depth going, like for example, like Robert Covington is looking more like Robert Covington, right? Early in the year, he was awful. If their if their bench kind of plays up to expectations, like it's this is a team that could again make noise in the playoffs, and I think is I, they're kind of a sleeper. Like people were really yeah. high on them early in the year. And the injuries hit. Now they're low on them again. But now I think they are kind of people should be, you know, kind of jumping back on the on the bandwagon. Yeah, that that was kind of going to be my next question to you. Of like, does it even matter that this team is getting back two high level starters? And and with Nurkic, yeah, he was terrible to begin the year. But part of me thinks like he can't be any worse. You know, like right. and at the very least, it means you don't have Venus Cantor out there defensively for 35 minutes a night. Um, obviously, Zach Collins hasn't played for them at all. Uh, that, that's been a pretty big concern. For, so like, even if Nurkic comes back and is just as lackluster as he was early on, it's still an upgrade just in terms of overall depth. I mean, they, they're playing Derek Jones, Robert Covington at center at times, and, and you can get away with that in small samples, but but not really want, what you want to be doing long term. I guess, you know, so they're, they're a half game behind Denver going into Tuesday night. They're one game up on San Antonio. They're two games up on Dallas. Um, I, I would say they're still they're still kind of in that second tier where it's like, you know, Utah, Phoenix, the Lakers and the Clippers, I think are tier one. And then you get a little bit of a gap between that group and Denver, Portland, San Antonio, Dallas. You could maybe throw Golden State in there as well. You know, is getting these two guys back enough to potentially bump Portland into that top tier? Because, you know, no one else in that tier, Denver, San Antonio, Dallas, Golden State, none of those teams have two, you know, at their best borderline all-star players coming back to a team that that's been able to tread water really well without them. I think so. I mean, I, you know, I kind of compare them to like, if we compare them to Denver, for example, like Portland has way more top end talent than, than Denver, right? Like you compare Jokic to Lillard and then their number two is Jamal Murray, who is worse than CJ McCollum. Uh, And then, you know, the Blazers have, you know, Nurkic, who is better than whoever you consider the third best player on the Nuggets, whether it be Michael Porter Jr. or, uh, Will Barton, I guess. I still don't really understand who's the third but, best player. Yeah. Um, I so I think, yeah, I think Portland has has the personnel to jump in there. And like I said, their bench is really good. They got they were lauded for their offseason moves, and I think mm-hmm. maybe a little too much, but also they were good moves. You know, getting Robert Covington matters. So I think, you know, they they seemed like they would match up really well against like Phoenix on paper. If that ends up being like the, you know, the the two seven matchup, I wouldn't that doesn't feel like a lock for for Phoenix as well as the Suns no. have been playing. No, it, it finally feels like Portland has a little bit of depth. And you know, assuming that everybody's healthy going into the playoffs, like you know, they were such a dangerous eight seed last year, and there was all that talk about them beating the Lakers, and they they won Game One, and obviously it, it you know kind of fell flat yeah. on his face after that. But they do feel like they at least have the like six, seven, eight pieces that they didn't in years past, where beyond Lillard and and Trent and McCollum and Nurkic. You're getting in, you know, you're depending on Anthony Simons for like 28 night, 28 minutes a night, um, you know, in, in big games. And, you know, you might not love the fit with Robert Covington and, you know, Rodney Hood isn't really the guy that I think some people thought he would be coming out of Duke. But you at least have a decent amount of depth that, yeah, I, I think if that's the the three six or the two seven Portland Phoenix, like, yeah, I mean, I would favor the Suns. They have, they have the best net rating in the league over the last 10 games by a wide margin. They're playing really well. But 
I, I again, I, I don't think Portland is a team that you're thrilled about facing. And and once again, this just speaks to how deep the Western Conference is. Like even when when it feels like it's been like kind of a disappointing season for Denver, kind of a disappointing season for Dallas. The the top end talent on these teams is so high that you just can never really count any of them out. Like they don't, even though Dallas is the eight seed right now, they don't feel like the eight seed in the East, which is the Atlanta Hawks. Like those those teams are on completely different tiers for me. No, I mean especially when when we saw what Luka Doncic could do last season in the playoffs, right. and Porzingis like wasn't even there. No, for I think he went out mid series, right? Yeah, he went out mid series, and he still, you know, Doncic kind of kept that thing close. And I wouldn't expect the same thing to happen between like the Hawks and the 76ers. Right. So we, we have two great options to segue. I, have, I want to talk about DeAndre Hunter and we just talked about the Hawks, but I also want to talk about LaMarcus Aldridge and let's go there because one of the teams that Chris Haynes from Yahoo Sports mentioned as a potential landing spot for LaMarcus Aldridge was the Portland Trailblazers. And given how that relationship ended, it, I mean, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was like that rocky, not like a, you know, Bridges burn forever type of situation, but I don't think it was the smoothest exit. I mean, there was some, uh, I think, debate uh, internally over whose team it was. And I think a lot of the reason that LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, eventually left Portland was because he felt like the organization had kind of switched over and, and handed everything over to Damian Lillard, which obviously is the right call. But if you're LaMarcus Aldridge, I, I, you can see how that would maybe become an issue. I was just really surprised that Portland is a team on his radar. And I don't know if that would be via trade or, or you know, via buyout. It would obviously be easier. But uh, how do you like that potential fit? And, and what do you think of, of some of the teams that were named in that Chris Haynes report? I think, I mean, I feel like Blake Griffin would have been a better fit than Aldridge. I mean, obviously, like Blake yeah. went to, you know, Brooklyn for, you know, obviously like he wants to win a title. Um, but I don't know. I mean, is, is Aldridge definitely a center at this point in his career? I, th- because... I think he has to be. Because if he's definitely a center, then I'm not, I can't say for certain that he's better than Angus Cantor right now. Like he, No, he, I mean, I think he's still better. Like he, he was underratedly decent on defense. Like the shot blocking especially has been good the last couple of years. But yeah, I don't, like when you picture this Portland team, they have played slower than they have in years past. But I don't, I like, you're already kind of integrating an old guy in Mello in there. It's like, do you, do you really need another like 35 year old on this roster that, that's, you know, and, and a guy who's going to expect to contribute too. Right. I mean, I, I wouldn't blame them if they went out and got him. I mean, he's, he's a different type of singer than Cantor, right? If yeah. you want a floor, if you want a floor spacing five, he's a better floor spacer than both Nurkic and Cantor. Right. Um, and I suppose you could play him at the four in certain lineups. Sure. Um, I think in some ways it would just be like a talent acquisition. It's like, there's, there's a guy who's productive out there. Even if he doesn't fit, we're, we're just going to get him because it's an option. Right. Um, yeah, I, that's, that's the best way to put it. And basically his numbers are like extremely similar to Mello. They're both averaging like 14 and four and they play like kind of an ISO mid range game when they're yeah. not shooting threes. So, um, I don't know. I mean, you would, I, I think this almost feels like it's just more about, Hey, Portland can get some buyout talent. I think that's more of what it's about than maybe specifically the Marcus Aldridge, um, but, yeah, that's very possible. Um, the other two teams that Haynes mentioned as, you know, had been in contact with San Antonio, and I'm sure there have been more, but the other two were were Miami and Boston. Do you like either of those? Um, yeah, I think I think Boston probably more. Um, yeah. You know, Miami, I guess. I mean, they have they have Olenek as their backup center. They could use they could probably use Aldridge a little bit more. I mean, I, I still really like Olenek. Um mm-hmm. 
but it feels like he'd be more effective in Boston. I mean, that put them up to like four centers. But yeah, that's the thing with Boston. It's like Boston doesn't it's kind of the same thing with Toronto. It's like both these teams are like desperate for help at center, yet they have three centers on the roster. They just decided <laughs> they don't like any of them. Right. I mean, with, you know, I guess with Boston, that's not a, they could just play whoever's hot at a particular game. And the, the players are different enough to where, you know, different like they could use them against different matchups. Right. I mean, you can use yeah. Tice when you want to go when you want to space more. Aldridge, maybe when you feel like you have a mismatch in the post or something. Um, but I, I feel like Boston makes the most sense. I, I think it does on paper. Although, you know, if I'm a Celtics fan, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be like super pumped to get LaMarcus Aldridge. You know, like I, I almost for some reason would rather have Drummond, even though it's been borne out that Drummond's just not that good and, and probably not a winning player. And it's not a great sign when, you know, you're on the bench for the Cavaliers and, you know, there, there's not a ton of other options there. But I, I just like, it, it doesn't like, could you really see LaMarcus Aldridge swinging a playoff series? Like, is, is it possible that he was just suppressed this last calendar year in San Antonio and, and he has more left in the tank than, than it looks? I really don't know. I don't, I feel like I would trust Drummond to swing a playoff series more than, yeah. than uh, Aldridge at this point, just because Drummond is so dominant at one thing, like rebounding. Like I'm right. not worried about anything with, I mean, I, you know, Aldridge, I don't think he has an elite skill anymore. So, you know, I, I just don't know. I mean, last time we saw him in the playoffs, you know, 2018, 19, he played pretty well, like 20 points mm -hmm. a game, 10 rebounds. I'm not sure he has that quite in him anymore. I mean, we're talking about someone who's 35, like the difference between 33 and 35 is a lot mm -hmm. in this context. So I don't know. I feel like I, maybe that Drummond's a little redundant with Tristan Thompson, but he's also better than Tristan Thompson. So, right. I mean, this this sounds a little dramatic, but if you're Boston, you kind of need a hail mary, right? Like, if, if you're looking at how things are right now, you know, you're fairly limited. You're not you're not going to go get Brad Beal, the name we keep bringing up. There's there's not a a magical trade or transaction that's going to shoot you to the top of the Eastern Conference. You need to find a way to be a team that has you know three Hall of Famers, plus Blake Griffin, plus DeAndre Jordan, plus Joe Harris. Um, and, you know, and, and before you even get to that, you might have to beat Milwaukee or Miami or Philadelphia. And, and in the event you get to the finals, you're playing another great team. Like things are not aligning well for Boston. And if you if you're really trying to make a run at the title this year, I, I feel like even though there's like a 10 percent chance it works out, like Drummond is the guy you want just because th there is that slight chance that everything finally clicks and he turns into a monster. Whereas with Aldridge, like what is the best case scenario? It's like he, he gets hot and wins you like one game in round two. I mean, yeah, if we're talking about if, if it all comes down to, OK, we have to beat the Brooklyn Nets, then I think Aldridge would probably get run off the court. Um, just like I think they would go small ball, but the Nets version of small ball is so dominant that yeah. I think Aldridge would have a hard time staying on the floor. Just like he would <laughs> the, the amount of transition offense and defense that you have to play. Right. And I feel like if you have Drummond in there, at least Drummond is someone who we know will just fight for every single rebound against smaller players and it's pretty athletic. Um, so I think that would be a better, you know, a better mismatch. Right. I, I think the Nets best lineup, unless they're able to find a solution at center, which, you know, we'll see if we got, I think 12 days, 11 days, no, no, nine days. Oh my God. What am I talking about until the trade deadline? Um, it, you know, if you, if you don't find a solution there, that the best lineup is going to be Durant at center. Right. I mean, I, and if you're talking about LaMarcus Aldridge being on the floor, for you, I, I think, like you said, he's going to get run off the court two possessions. Yeah, it's either Durant or maybe Jeff Green at center. 
Um, yeah. Jeff Green has been pretty good for them. I yeah, think. Yes. Yeah. So I, I guess, well, we haven't even seen Blake Griffin either. Like, we don't really know what that looks like. I mean, the, the version of Blake Griffin that we might get as like, you know, fourth option Blake Griffin at center mm-hmm. might just be, that might end up being their best option. We've also barely even seen Durant Irving Harden. <laughs> Yeah, like know. I'm, I'm looking right now, like how many games has Durant played with that group? Like, definitely less than ten. Okay. They have played 383 possessions together, and they are plus 13 in those uh, in those possessions. And the Harden, Irving, Joe Harris, Durant, Jeff Green lineup is plus 27 points per 100 possessions in the 150 possessions that they've played. So. Sheesh. I mean, okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that checks out. That's, I think that's about what you expect. You need, I mean, you need something extreme to stop that. And I know if like, if you're, if you're Boston or anybody like, well, Boston, especially you can be like, well, okay, we're going to have Tatum guard Durant and smart guard Irving and Jalen Brown guard Harden, but that still doesn't feel like it's going to be like, that's, I don't think that's going to swing the series. But if you add Drummond to that, you can be like, well, we can do that and we can potentially dominate them on the boards and get mm-hmm. like, I mean, Drummond can get you like six offensive rebounds a game if you keep them in there long enough. Maybe that's, I feel like right. that's your better option. Yeah, like I said, he's he's the Hail Mary option. You know, you you don't feel yeah. great about your percentages, but, you know, the other options probably top you out at like losing in the second round. The Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by Gamer Saloon. Gamer Saloon is a video game tournament platform where you can play video games for real cash prizes. All major consoles and PCs are supported. Our most popular titles are NBA 2K, Madden, FIFA, NHL, and Call of Duty. Gamer Saloon launched in 2006 and since then has awarded more than $75 million in prizes. Players could play in multiplayer tournaments or simply play 1v1 games from your couch for real cash prizes. Withdrawals are fast and easy. and They're directly deposited right into your PayPal account. Join a free match on us today by going to gamersaloon.com slash rotowire. That's gamersaloon.com slash rotowire and simply pick your game of choice. All you have to do is win one match and Gamer Saloon will give you $10. Again, gamersaloon.com slash rotowire. Win that match. Go get those free $10. What about Victor Oladipo? We haven't really talked about him too much at it feels to me increasingly likely that he's going to get dealt. I mean, Houston has not won a game in like over a month at this point. They continue free falling. Uh, injuries have been a part of that, but I mean, at the same time, I mean, John Wall has not been great this season, and you know, it feels like he can't even string together three or four consecutive games where he's on the court. Oladipo's been in and out. Eric Gordon's out long term now. Obviously, Christian Wood has missed time. Um, I mean, they're they're firmly a lottery team at this point. I mean, there's there, that, no question about that, but. You know, if Oladipo's on the market, there are rumors yesterday that that the cost maybe is lower than people think. Um, obviously, he's going to be a free agent, so that factors in. I, I think to me, he's the the guy who could maybe swing things even more than Drummond, um, just because yeah. Victor. We have confirmation that Victor Oladipo, when healthy, is actually good. We still don't have that confirmation <laughs> on Andre Drummond. He's going to be risky. Uh, you know, contract stuff aside, he's he's still kind of been a little banged up. I don't know how much of that is just Houston being cautious and and trying to lose as many games as it can. Um, but it, any teams really make sense to you as you know one that would be willing to take that risk and, you know, whether it's a one-year rental or, you know, more likely a team that would maybe try to sign him to a, a three or four year deal after the season. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, an important part of the equation is that he has bird rights so that a team yep. can go over the cap to sign him. So it, it can be a rental, but it could also be something more long term. I was kind of thinking about it. I don't know if this I, I feel like this is not enough and I don't know what would make it enough. But I feel like I mean, the Bucks already tried to trade Dante DiVincenzo mm-hmm. for Bogdan Bogdanovich. And I feel like if would I mean, if you're Houston, would Dante DiVincenzo be enough for you to trade Victor Oladipo? I mean, again, what else can the Bucks? What else do right. the Bucks have to offer? Almost nothing. So, so if that, I if I'm Houston, no, right now, like to me, I'm, I'm saying no. Look, I I have a, a, the more coveted asset. I know he's been banged up, but to me, DiVincenzo is like one step below the caliber of player I would want. With that said. It depends what the other offers are, right? I mean, if, if other teams maybe just view him as a rental and aren't willing to really part with a true core piece and, you know, are, are, you know some of the offers just end up being lowball, I think it's possible. I don't know. I mean, it, like, I, I was pretty high on Bogdanovich and was pretty surprised that even in a sign-and-trade scenario where they didn't have a ton of leverage, I was like, that's, that's really all this is going to take? Okay, sounds good. I don't know. I mean, it totally depends how they value him. I, I think there's other teams could definitely beat that offer, but there's also a chance that no other team is is really willing to extend all that much. Yeah, by all accounts, they took a really low offer on Harden. So, yeah. and this is a different situation. I, I just think this is more just about me as a, I mean, as a Bucks fan thinking like, well, how many opportunities are you going to get to get a guy like Oladipo really cheap and you can re-sign him potentially? And then you have, Giannis, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, um, yeah. Old Depot, which is like, I mean, talk about like a that's pretty, pretty good. Yeah, that would be very nice. Um, and I think you'd be just as, I mean, it'd be hard for you know people, like the main complaint people have about the Bucks is like, well, who's handling the ball at the end of the game? It's like, well, now you have four guys who yeah. could potentially do that. Um, I don't know. I, actually, is there any I like team, that one a lot. Is there any team for you that sticks out that maybe is more realistic? Well, one more thing on the Bucks is that I, even if it if it doesn't work out, like you know, let's say Oladipo leaves, or you know, you you fall short, and it's it's just kind of like, man, we shouldn't have done that. At the end of the day, if you've basically just given up DiVincenzo, like to me, it's worth that risk. Is that how you would feel? Like let's let's say it's just it just backfires, and maybe Oladipo is hurt and only plays you know half the games in the playoffs, and they just kind of fizzle out. It's easy to say now, I guess, because it hasn't happened. But to me, I would say. If, I, if I'm basically just giving up DiVincenzo and, and some other filler, maybe some some future protected picks or something like that, to me, that risk would be worth it. That's tough. I mean, I li- I really like DiVincenzo. He kind of got exposed in the playoffs last year. I mean, he was essentially a rookie last year in the playoffs. Um, sure. So that's important to keep in mind. But I, it, it might be worth it. Um, I don't know, man. It is really tough. Like the, the risk-reward mm-hmm. scenario. I think you'd want to resign Oladipo, but even, I mean, maybe it's worth considering like how, if is a 75% Victor Oladipo the same as a 100% Dante DiVincenzo, you know, like just in terms of can Oladipo, basically it comes down to can Victor Oladipo shoot 38% from three, which is what Mm -hmm. Dante DiVincenzo is doing. And can he play just as good, if not better defense than DiVincenzo and probably yes on both um, like longer term. Maybe not. I mean, who right. knows the season? Uh, to me, this this just feels like the debate of like we get to the NFL trade deadline. It's like, why are the Packers not trading for Julio Jones? Why are the Packers not trading for like AJ Green? And at the end of the day, you're like, well, they're, you know, you're, they're always trying to play both ways. It's like, well, we we can still get to the NFC title game by not doing this, and we don't risk you know a, a cataclysmic 
uh, you know, failure where all of a sudden we go all in on a player and it's a disaster and now we're not a contender anymore. Um, it, it feels like, you know, the Bucks finally kind of got out of that mandate and, and took a few more risks this offseason. But I mean, you're going into your third straight year now where it's I wouldn't say it's title or bust, especially because Giannis did resign. But I mean, to the fan base, it kind of feels that way. I mean, you've been so close, especially two years ago, felt like you were going to be close again last year. Like, I, it, it also feels like there's a, enough of a challenger now in the East and the Nets that it, it kind of might take a, a risky swing like that to to really get that piece that pushes you over the top. Because without it, I mean, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the Bucks uh, later on, just about how they've been playing lately. But even as well as they, even as good as they've looked over the last month, like I, I still wouldn't pick them over the nets right now. Like I, I feel like they've kind of taken a step back from their absolute peak um, and, and not to belabor the point too much, but I think this is kind of the type of calculated risk that that would make some sense to maybe push your ceiling up one more level. I think so. Yeah. I mean, if, again, if we're talking about being the nets, you would feel a lot better with all the depot. Um, and even if it's not necessarily for this year, next year, he'd get the full off season to recover. Right. I mean, by all accounts, like everyone says that his injury was like a two year injury that you like you come back after a year, but you're still you're not ready for yeah. you need that second off season, And he hasn't really gotten that. I don't feel like. Um, and so, yeah, long term, if you want to compete with the Nets over the next three years and you take this gamble on Victor Oladipo and you have basically three guards slash wings in their prime with Oladipo, Holiday and Middleton and then Giannis, you know, press Lopez when he's playing well. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's something I feel like could really compete yeah. with the Nets. For sure. And and I think, you know, like you said, the drawback is going to be the injury concerns. Um, but when you're a team like the Bucks that has so much money committed to a small group of guys, you know, you, you, you're not going to find the perfect trade. You know, there's going to be some risk involved. Like you're somebody's not just going to fall into your lap. Like you can't just expect there to be some perfect deal out there that's going to push you over the top. Like it's going to take some risk. Um, and again, I, I think it would be worth it in terms of other teams. I mean, Dallas kind of comes to mind. I know they, they sniffed around all the depot. Um, you know, I, I think earlier this season and even in the off season, there were some rumors. They certainly feel like a team that, that needs to add a guy, uh, anybody basically to, to supplement the offense with Doncic. Um, I don't know. Other than that, I mean, it, it, it all just depends what, you know, what, what Houston is seeking here. You know, if it's, if it's draft capital, then that knocks a lot of teams out that have made other recent trades. If it's, you know, a younger, higher upside player, then you're probably looking at, you know, one of those teams in the middle to the bottom that that wants to find a way to upgrade fast, you know, rather than kind of play the longer game. Right. Um, Yeah, it is tough to look at like those rosters and try to find, you know, who would make the most sense. Um, And part of that is because Oladipo's value is so unclear. And uh, you run into a situation where even if you are like the Bucks and it's like, hey, we do want to resign this guy and we can because he has bird rights, how inflated it is. Because the thing is, if a team gets him for the playoffs and he plays really well in the playoffs, mm-hmm. then the offers for him are going to be like really, really high. Right. Um, and that that makes things tougher. So, right. It's like you want to get him, but you don't want him to play too well. You want to play just well <laughs> enough that you win the title, but you don't have to pay him more. <laughs> yeah. The uh, yeah, that's a that's a tough gap to to split. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, like I'm looking at like a Toronto a team, you know, that that could use somewhat of a refresh. But it's like what you're not sending Kyle Lowry to Houston like they, they have no interest yeah. in that. I mean, if it's not because that's what makes this tough is it's not a salary dump type of deal where 
you know, one team is looking to shed money. Like Oladipo isn't expiring. So, you know, you can't, you can't just look at it and say like, oh, well, we'll just get off this expiring contract for this. Like you're, you're going to be surrendering a pretty good asset at the very least and more likely a, you know, probably a very good asset. I mean, do you feel like the Bulls would consider it for like marketing? Just kind of like a your problem for my problem thing. That's, that's a good one. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, maybe they would even rather part with like Wendell Carter. I mean, I, Kobe well, White's yeah. on the bench now. I mean, do you, if you're, if you're Houston, like, would you be like, Hey, let's do it. Kobe White for, for Victor Oladipo. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, that kind of, that kind of deal would make some sense. I mean, especially because, I mean, it would, adding Victor Oladipo doesn't make Chicago a contender, but in the minds of the Bulls, it's like, hey, we we got another guy. Like this maybe locks us into like the sixth seed in the East, which maybe for that franchise is a victory. I don't know. Yeah, if you're in the East and you have Oladipo and Levine, and you know your young players pan out. I mean, if you if your young players that you keep end up panning out, you know, if Markinen pans out, or I mean, Patrick Williams, I think has been better than people expected. Um, the Bulls are kind of just a, a mess right now, but um, I think it's that type of trade is the only way it makes sense because the team has to be bad enough to have good young players, but also kind of in that, mm. in that mix, like you mentioned kind of Dallas, they just don't like Dallas doesn't have any young players at all, really. No, it's, I mean, it, you, you start to talk about like Tim Hardaway and that's not a, not a great contract. I mean, not, not a player that I think has really increased his value since he's if, been there. If you're Charlotte, do you consider Malik Monk? I mean, you'd be, you'd be selling high on Monk. Right. Possibly. I mean, that definitely seems like a guy that Houston would want. Or Devontae Graham. Right. I think Graham would make more sense because I I don't think you want to bring in another ball handling guard because you kind of already have one too many. Right. Yeah, that's that's actually an interesting one. I I have no idea how Devontae Graham is valued. I would guess probably not as highly as we think. Well, I mean, the the Rockets are trying to tank, it seems like, as hard as possible. Um, even though, I mean, there's only so much you can when you, when John Wall and Christian Wood are still on your roster, like once those guys are healthy, they're going to start actually winning games again. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe depending on, oh. <laughs> they're, they're trying, I mean, they're really gutting the rest of their roster. So, but I think if you're Charlotte and you're like, well, LaMelo ball is good, like right now already. Right. And we have Gordon Hayward, who again is good right now, but we're kind of capped out in a way because we gave Gordon Hayward the max. Yeah. Um, then we can, again, it's a bird rights thing with Oladipo, and then we kind of move forward with, yeah. I mean, Oladipo, Ball, Hayward, Rozier, that's that's pretty nice. You run P.J. Washington at center. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's that's one of those classic teams that it's like, if we don't get him now, we're not getting a player like this. And right. again, there's potential that it goes badly, but you're not, you're not going to sign a better player necessarily in free agency. I, I guess maybe Gordon Hayward is, is the exception to that rule. But in general, you're going to have a tough time getting your hands on that kind of talent. Right. Um, level of concern over the Bulls benching Kobe White and uh, Wendell Carter. We we have no idea if this is going to be a long-term thing, but they did it and they immediately beat up on the the depleted Toronto Raptors on Sunday night, won that game by 20 plus. It's not a great sign, that's for sure. I mean, these are you know two of your last three first-round picks who are now on the bench. Your most recent first-round pick is still starting. I, I guess that's a good sign. Um, but it's it, it's kind of amazing that it, it feels like nobody's really played all that well outside of Levine and Thaddeus Young. And this team is, you know, still very much in the playoff race. They are winning games because of their bench. Like they have one of the most, like if you go on basketball reference or cleaning the glass or wherever stat you go to for like point differential on a, on a player to player basis there, it is some of the most drastic difference between a bench and a starting group or just like two, 
you know, like the the good versus the bad that I've ever seen. Um, you know, you have like you, you have Patrick Williams as minus 14, Markinen minus 13, Wendell Carter minus 11, Levine minus eight, Car- Kobe White minus eight. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have all like the veteran and bench guys. Garrett Temple's plus 15, Archie Diakno plus 15, Thad Young plus 14, Denzel Valentine plus 10, Sagaransky plus eight. It's so backwards that it's it's like really tough to even know how to like look at this team now. Um, it's it's kind of unbelievable. So I don't know what you do. Like I I feel like I am concerned for the Bulls because you have like this young core and you're trying to win games, but like the young core is contrary to that. Do you try to trade these guys for win now pieces now? Uh, do you get rid of the do you get rid of the good players? Like you know they it's, it feels like they're in. Like I have, I have no idea what to do if I'm their front office. Yeah. It's, it's not a great situation because you're not good enough where, you know, you feel like you've really made progress. Like despite being right in the playoff race, there's still three games under 500. They're 17 and 20. You know, it's not like you're putting together this fantastic season by any means, although it's had some higher highs than the last four or five years, but right. yeah, you're, you're winning games really not by the way you want to win games if that makes sense it's like the, the guys that are just supposed to be there kind of providing veteran leadership and giving you 15 good minutes are the ones carrying the team yeah. not necessarily what you want when you're when you on paper like white carter levine market and williams so you're like wow i i like all those guys like that, that sounds like a nice young core again other than levine you know those guys aren't playing all that well market has been fine i mean williams has been decent uh by by rookie wing standards but it, it's still it still doesn't really feel like this team has like hit the jackpot on any of those players. No, it, I mean, they've been fine. Like I, you know, I like, I still like marketing. I think he can be really good. It's just like, I think it seems like that's kind of rung its course. Plus he's like, his injury situation is now reaching like Marvin Bagley levels. Um, so yeah. I, I just want to know what to do. Like it's, it's really, t- it's a really tough front office job and they have a new front office that, um, I think people seem to like, um, not that the previous front office was, it's not that it's like, you know, compared to what was there before, right. it's easy to like whoever's in there next, but this is like a very much not an envious job to have. This feels like mm-hmm. it's not obvious what direction to take, which is, a, this is the kind of stuff that, you know, this is like NBA purgatory yep. type problems. Um, except that it feels like they have a young core that should be you know, like you shouldn't be in purgatory with that, but somehow right. they are. Yeah. Well, the problem is too, that like time goes so quickly that all of a sudden you have to start talking about like this time next year, we'll be like, will they resign Wendell Carter? Like, yeah. You, <laughs> right. like, it's crazy how fast that happens. And I, I, as of right now, the answer is probably no. Um, we'll finish out with this. Rank these teams in order of how likely it is that they win the NBA title this season. I'm going to give you five teams. The Utah Jazz, the Phoenix Suns, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Philadelphia 76ers, and the LA Clippers. The, I mean, this is a, a this is a very tough exercise. Yes, it is, I, especially I think, with no preparation. <laughs> I think so. I I want to give some like the nod to some of the Eastern Conference teams because they don't have to go through the gauntlet that is the Western Conference. <clears throat> like I think if we dig away with conferences that the Jazz and the Bucks. Or, or at least the Jazz would just be at the top of this list, maybe, um, or the Clippers. But because of the way the conference is sorted out, I don't know. I, I think maybe I still go Clippers number one. Um, you know, even though they haven't been playing that well, I still kind of believe in their talent. 
I I really don't know. I think you could put these in any order and I'd be like, yeah, I mean, I guess. I, yeah. I, I think maybe it's easier to go backwards. Sure. Sons. Whatever, 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 however you want to work through it. <laughs> good, I'm going to work backwards. Live. I'm going to work backwards and say Suns last. Okay. Um, They have the least, they definitely have the least playoff experience of these teams. Between, True. especially between Booker and DeAndre Ayton. And Chris Paul, suspiciously healthy again. Mm-hmm. Um, too healthy. Too healthy. And then I think maybe the 76ers and Bucks, those are kind of tied to me. I mean, the 76ers have been playing really well, but the Bucks aren't really that far behind them. Like two two wins, like they're two games back only. Yep. Um, and you know, Joel Embiid's knee injury just kind of like <laughs> makes you remember that, like, oh yeah, this guy plays like 60 games a year. Yeah. Uh, who knows if he's gonna be healthy for the playoffs? So maybe I go, uh, Suns least, then 76ers, then Bucks. Okay, so that leaves Jazz Clippers? Yeah, then Jazz, then Clippers. That's reverse order. So Clippers, Jazz, Bucks, 76 or Suns, I think. Okay, I think I have that same order. I would just flip the Bucks and the Jazz. So I would go Clippers, Bucks, Jazz, Sixers, Suns. Yeah. The Suns, the Suns just have a weird mix. Like it, it, it just feels impossible to me that you do have one guy who has a ton of playoff experience and who's really good. And then you have a, the entire rest of the team has no experience at all. Like, I, I don't know if there's really any precedent for that other than maybe some of those like LeBron Cavs teams. Right. And I mean, their third best player in DeAndre Ayton or someone who should be their third best player is just like kind of falling out of favor with the coaching yeah. staff. It seems hard to like. play like 25 minutes a night. Yeah. And like not it's playing not in fourth. It's just like Dario Saric is out there. Yeah. Um, and it, like I haven't watched a ton of Suns. And when I do, it's usually like the recap version, like the 10 minute. But there are just moments where I see DeAndre Ayton like clearly not doing the right thing on the court or like yeah. just not, it's it's I understand why um, I, I think that just makes it hard for them when they can't play yeah. who is supposed to be their third best player. They just they just seem like a team that, you know, is a lot of fun and I, I think certainly could win a round or two. But, you know, it's one of those teams that is just when it comes like when the Lakers really want to put the clamps down like they did on the Nuggets. It's like I think it would just kind of be that same result where the Suns could play a really good game. But there, there are just a couple teams out there that are are, are just better at the end of the day. Um, Bucks versus Clippers. The gap is narrowing for me. Like I I'm such a Kawhi guy, I guess, that I just feel like. If you have that guy on your team when he is right and healthy, that's like a, a basically a free ticket to the Western Conference Finals. And, and obviously they fell short last year, and that did make me reconsider in some ways. And they haven't exactly played, you know, the kind of inspired basketball I, I think that you would hope coming off of a disastrous collapse like that. I mean, they just got whacked the other night uh, on Sunday by New Orleans by like they were down 30 at, at parts of that game. So they still have these nights where it just doesn't really look right. But with that said, like, I, I just don't want to bet against Kawhi Leonard. Like, that's literally all it comes down to is that guy scares the hell out of me. And I think he, as as he's proven capable in the past, can can catch fire and, and just is so dependable that that he can kind of take you all the way there. Milwaukee is looking good, though. I, I still do feel like they're one piece short. I, I would not pick them against Brooklyn. I would pick them against Philadelphia right now. I, I think Giannis is looking as good as he's ever looked. Honestly, I mean, he's shooting 76 percent from the free throw line. Uh, since the start of February, he's been just incredible in all phases of the game. Three straight triple doubles. Uh, I, I think he's playing as well as he ever has. But 
you know, I don't want to have the Oladipo conversation again, but it, it does feel like they're still one piece short. And I think they have enough to get to the East finals. I, I think they would just, they would really struggle to keep up with Brooklyn in that series. Yeah, it is tough. I I'm with you. It does feel like they need a, a fourth guy and Brooke Lopez is supposed to be the fourth guy, no. but no, no, no. I, there are a lot of nights where I'm like, can we get just a, can we get a little more Bobby Portis? Yeah. A little less Brooke Lopez. And that's a scary thought to be having. That's a um, record, record setting three point shooter, Bobby Portis. True. Yeah. yeah. But you're right. Youngest has been ridiculous. Like his, his last 10 games is 32 points on 20 shots, 12 rebounds, seven assists, um, basically three combined steals and blocks, you know, more than two assists to turnover ratio. Like he's been, he's been ridiculous. Um, if he didn't win the MVP last year, I think he'd be the front runner right now. I think we've just kind of crossed him out. There's been no talk about it, but he's, he's been the most dominant player in the league for the last month and a half. I think so. Yeah. And I mean, they're, they've, the effort to use him differently, I think is coming through like yeah. to use him more as a screen and roll guy that can catch and then make a decision. Yeah. That's been huge. And you mentioned the free throw shooting. That's another big thing too. I mean, that's, when he's shooting 10 a game, so that's an extra basically two or three points on the board every single game when he's hitting his free throws. Yeah. And they're, they're uh, starting to just like railroad teams too. Like they had that, that weird five game losing streak in the middle of February where they, they kind of bottomed out. Um, but since then, I mean, they've won nine of their last 10. The, the one blip on the radar was that blowout loss to Denver, which kind of seems like an anomaly. Uh, although they have had a, like when they lose this season, they've, they've lost big in a lot of games. And that's, that's a little concerning, um, but they've they've kind of been on cruise control against a lot of the bad teams, which which early on they were they were weirdly struggling in those games. I think back to that that big loss they took to the Knicks early on. You're like, what the hell happened? Um, but then they go and beat the Knicks by 33 last week, and they're they're starting to look more like the old Bucks, which is encouraging. It is, yeah. I'm looking at Giannis's game log. He took 24 free throws against the Kings. Yeah, he's 20 of his last 21 at the line. That's unbelievable. Yeah, that's that's been the other thing with him is and I think that does go back to him spending more time as a roller, spending even more time around the rim. I mean, just just looking at his game logs, it's just double digit free throws like every other game. He's He's been on a I guess on a, a bit of a cold streak there, o- only got to the line an average of like seven times over the last three games. But before that, it was nine, ten, six, ten, thirteen, twenty four, ten, thirteen, fourteen. Um, he's had a couple other, you know, 20 plus free throw nights sprinkled in this year. Yeah, he's. Even if he's hitting him at just 70 to 75, like that's such a big difference. I mean, over, over the course of, especially when you start talking like over the course of five to 10 games, I mean, the amount of points that you're leaving on the board when you're shooting 55% is, is massive. Right. All right. We'll wrap it up there. We've got a bunch of news coming in on this Tuesday night. Um, I'll be back with James later this week. We're going to take a look at some of the best value draft picks uh, over the last five or 10 years. Haven't quite narrowed down the scope on that yet, but should be a fun concept pod. Uh, And then you'll be back on Friday with Ken and Shannon, as always.